0: Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain, in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain approximately one third of women suffer from pelvic pain it's an unspoken epidemic so many of us have it yet no one talks about it however the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence the conversations are intimate raw and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible with education patience and the proper tools and techniques pelvic pain can be overcome welcome back to the women's pelvic pain podcast i'm your host hannah matluck i'm a holistic health and wellness coach and i have had chronic pelvic pain for many years pelvic pain is a complex topic which is really why i started this podcast i wanted people to be able to understand what this topic is i wanted to make it accessible to those who suffer from it and i wanted to make it interesting through the open conversations that we have on here Um, so I really hope to be able to provide advice and insight and comfort to those who suffer from it and also education to those maybe who don't suffer from it, but want to know more about what your pelvic floor is and what chronic pelvic pain is and what you can do to help it. So today I am here with Megan Lynch. Megan is a yoga teacher who is also a doula. She does a lot of work with pre and postnatal women and is based in New York City So I had the privilege of going to one of Megan's yoga classes the other week, and I thought the class was amazing, and I introduced myself after, and she told me about herself, and I was like, I have to have you on the podcast. So here she is. I'm so happy to have you here, Megan. And I have yet to have a teacher who specializes in pre- and postnatal women let alone a yoga teacher in general, or a doula. So this is a very exciting episode, and I can't wait to hear all that you have to share with us. So how did you first get into yoga, and specifically, what interested you about pre and postnatal yoga? Um,
1: So I got into yoga, I come from an interesting background where my father is a Tai Chi and Qigong master so i always uh, grew up meditating and grew up sort of in uh, eastern lineage of thought and practice um but i started yoga really solidly in college and i was um i'm an actress as well and i was studying at nyu for drama and yoga is actually part of our curriculum and so it became something that was so necessary in navigating being in new york city um, being in a field, an entertainment field, that is really difficult and stressful. Um, so it became part of my, my weekly life and then became part of my daily life. And in 2011, I decided that I wanted to actually become a teacher. And then from there, I began to specialize more in um, in prenatal and postnatal yoga just because I really want to support women that's part of like my drive in general through women's health and right now i'm in grad school for traditional chinese medicine really for women's health and uh, fertility so it it sort of just came out of came out of yoga came out of sort of the healing arts but coming from the entertainment side of the arts interesting Interesting. yeah and then what about the pre and postnatal aspect um i think that after teaching for a little bit, I wanted to sort of concentrate or um, just get more knowledge and, and and more trainings underneath my belt. Uh, and pre- and postnatal yoga seemed really interesting to me because of that, because I, I really believe in how strong women are and the divine feminine and that energy and sort of wanted to work with it and work with women specifically, especially during this time that is – so massive in a time of such change and strength
0: right and so since you do work a lot with women who are pregnant or after they're pregnant or while they're planning on becoming pregnant um, this work has a lot to do with the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor muscles yeah so I want you to talk about how yoga can help the pelvic floor in general and how it can also help the pelvic floor for people who have chronic pelvic pain and then in addition how it can help the pelvic fo- floor for pre and postnatal women.
1: Okay, great. So, our Kegel muscles are sort of the muscles that are talked about with the pelvic floor. Um and we have they're the muscles that that circle the urethra, the, the vagina and then also or the vaginal hole and then also the anus. And so that's the entire makeup of, of the pelvic floor. Um, and I'll, we'll talk about some exercises to like sort of engage each of them. Mm-hmm. But in yoga, pulling up on all of that, that lift of pulling up and in, like when you have to pee, mm-hmm. um, that is called our Mula Lock. And mm-hmm. our Mula Lock is one of the three energetic locks that sends the energy upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're practicing yoga, especially if we're coming into anything where we're coming into flight a little bit, or, um, or even our jump backs or chaturangas, we try to engage the mula lock especially. Um, and in pre and postnatal yoga, I talk about it more actually as, as Kegel muscles and then also the relaxation of the Kegel muscles. Um, and definitely in prenatal yoga, the reason why we engage the, the Kegels and we engage the pelvic floor, um, is one to combat the weight of the baby so as you grow and as the weight of the baby is heavier and heavier the pelvic floor feels heavier and heavier and weighed down so having a strong pelvic floor can help create mm-hmm. a little bit more buoyancy inside mm-hmm. um, also for incontinence so right. there's more pressure on your bladder um, having a strong you know, sphincter muscle there can mm-hmm. really help. And Moving into postnatal yoga post-natal, um, yoga, and also the engagement of the Kegels there, that's for incontinence as well and for prolapse of the bladder and mm-hmm. the uterus that can happen after pregnancy mm-hmm. um, or after delivery. Um, and it's really important during pregnancy because that whole the whole pelvic floor when we birth, if we birth vaginally and, and naturally, it stretches so much. Mm-hmm. And when we engage the pelvic floor, there is this myth at a certain point in time that you don't engage it because you want it to be more open. But what they've found through studies is actually if you have a strong pelvic floor, it's more likely to stretch rather mm-hmm. than tear. Mm-hmm. And so you have less of a chance of getting an episiotomy, less of a chance for like stitches afterwards. Um, you have a shorter push time. It's just really important to have a strong pelvic floor. And then that the bounce back rate afterwards of being able to sort of cinch everything back together and to make sure that there's not so much incontinence or or that prolapse um, is so much faster and so much easier if you had a strong pelvic floor to begin with. So that's why we do it in in our prenatal and postnatal classes.
0: So interesting. And then in relation to people who aren't pregnant but just have chronic pelvic pain, Mm -hmm. what role does yoga play um, for those types of people. When it comes to engaging the mulabunda specifically? Yeah, or like helping with the chronic pain sure. or helping to relax those muscles or kind of like yeah. release the muscle tension in the pelvic floor. How can yoga help with that?
1: Well, so it becomes interesting and tricky when we're talking about pelvic pain rather mm-hmm. than um, prenatal and, and postnatal yoga because mm-hmm. in that, arena we're really trying to engage but right. we're also trying to relax so when the baby when we're at like 36 weeks or so we're not really engaging the pelvic floor anymore because you are trying to make space for the baby and you're trying to like allow that opening to happen and that's sort of maybe more of the space we want to look at when we're talking about pelvic floor pain mm-hmm. um, because a lot of that pain that happens um, or what gets diagnosed often as vulvodynia is because there's an intense engagement of the right. pelvic floor, and actually, if you think about us as like New Yorkers, we're like kind of tight asses. Like we walk around, like yeah. everything is cinched up. We have to take like keep our shit together. Like everything has to be sort of in this um, this tight place all the time, and we're sort of walking around in our sympathetic nervous system, our fight or flight mode. So everything is sort of alert and heightened. So actually, and this is how yoga helps as well we want to lull ourselves back into the parasympathetic response into our rest and digest mode. We want to start to ground down and to let go a little bit more. And in that, that helps release the pelvic floor, mm-hmm. um, just coming into more of those states of relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can we can talk about exercises that we can do for both right. the
0: engagement and the release if you want to talk about
1: that. Yeah, definitely. A little bit. Yeah. But
0: just to kind of circle back and sum up What you're saying is that when you're working with someone who has pelvic pain or pelvic floor dysfunction you're trying to release the muscles you're not trying to do kegels and strengthen or tighten yeah
1: it well it depends on the person and i think that this is definitely where seeing a pt for this to really know what is going on with Uh you is important um because sometimes it could be that the pressure the pain is coming from prolapse and pressure that's Mm -hmm. actually downbearing and so for that we would want to cinch back up we want to engage the kegels and and find a strong pelvic floor there Mm -hmm. but I found with um with friends and people that I know that have pelvic pain Mm -hmm. um and have been diagnosed also with vulvodynia that really it's it's an over engagement right like that's where
0: my a lot of my pain comes from is that my muscles are super super tight super tight yeah that it causes the pain right so in that case you would want to work Relaxing. on exercises to relax release, the muscles yeah. and release them exactly yeah. however if you're pregnant or already had a baby you would be working to engage and strengthen yes yeah and then what are some exercises that you would recommend for both? yeah for both um okay so for engaging
1: the pelvic floor when mm-hmm. we're going to do the kegel muscles Um, there are a few ones that I actually do with the with the mamas so one I call the elevator exercise Mm -hmm. which is you imagine a marble right at um, the base of your pelvic floor so like um, the perineum like right there in between the vaginal sphincter and then also the anus Mm -hmm. and you imagine that you can lift up for four so slowly engaging for a count of four
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then you can hold at the top so then keep that engagement release down for four and then hold out so that you're completely relaxed there and so we'll do this for a few rounds of breathing and this is a difference so if you're engaging the pelvic floor when you're not pregnant um, you would exhale when you lift up and then keep breathing at the top but just hold it up there and then you would inhale as you're releasing down and then hold it out there and keep breathing and just so exhale is up, inhale is down and that works with our diaphragm. When you're pregnant, what we do is we inhale up Mm -hmm. and then we exhale down and that's more to um, facilitate what it would be to push. So you want to exhale and push and you want the pelvic floor to spread and it sort of creates that neural pathway of on my exhale, I'm releasing the pelvic floor. So it's the opposite for a pregnancy cool. versus not. Um, then the normal, like what everyone knows is the Kegel exercises mm-hmm. are the blinks, which is the clench and release. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do counts of uh, you know, 20 where we just do rapid fire clench and release. Um, like you have to pee and then release, pee and release. Um, or when like squeezing a tampon is another way to think of it, but pulling up and in. Right. Another thing that I remember in my doula training we were talking about, and this is more for postnatal yoga. Um, is the yoni egg or the jade egg. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of yeah. it? Yeah, so often that's used as like a strengthening technique where it's it's like a jade egg that you put in your vagina and then you hold it up there. Mm-hmm. And so that way you really learn how to engage the muscles around an object and it makes it, sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to actually like figure out and find where those muscles are because they're subtle. They're like our subtle yeah. body, you know, our mm-hmm. subtle muscles. Um, and then i'll do super kegel holds where instead of doing the blink rapid fire you know it's a hold for a count of 20 and we'll do 3 of those so about a minute of holding but we breathe in between and release in between right um and then one of this is like you know advanced kegel exercises um but it's a way to really find those three different parts of what the pelvic floor are and so in a puppy's pose which is that pose halfway between child's pose and um, downward dog where your knees are on the floor and your hands are out but your butt's still in the air um, because that really helps to open up the pelvic floor so that's a good mm-hmm. pose for opening the pelvic floor um, but in that we'll engage just the anal sphincter so just pulling that together um, for a four and try to In your mind and it's really about creating that connection between the body and the mind because it's so subtle that you're like how can I actually just do that and not engage the other parts you know right Um. so trying to just send to your body through your mind that I'm just engaging my anal sphincter and do that four times and then just the urethra like I have to pee and that front one and like engage that four times Mm -hmm. then try to do just the left vaginal wall and just the right mm-hmm. and then you'll do four on each and then both together for two and you can actually feel how much stronger it is after you isolate it mm-hmm. and then the entire all three of them together and then you really feel like oh this is my full pelvic floor working right In so true, interesting. that would be two so it's just ways to like really break down the entire pelvic what we call the pelvic floor sort of sort of this umbrella mm-hmm. but most of us I think usually think of like oh I have to pee or um, like I'm holding that that tampon or I'm holding the the pelvic floor in mm-hmm. you know
0: but it's everything together so if someone had trouble isolating one of those muscles how do you get them to kind of tune in to a specific I muscle? think that
1: a lot of that actually is um, is sort of that mind training. It's more, I mean we do this a lot with the breath where the breath becomes this connection between the body and the mind. So when we breathe into a muscle to release a muscle, even though anatomically I'll never be able to breathe into my quadricep, just making that connection between body and mind through the breath will release that muscle. And that's Mm -hmm. biomedicine. That's not just like yoga woo-woo. Like it actually does work and it helps. The same way that you can take your attention to like if I'm just going to do my left vaginal wall, if I put all my attention there and contract, I can slowly but surely you start to make that somatic connection between it with your mind where it becomes greater and greater. The strength Mm -hmm. becomes greater and greater there and you're more attuned to
0: all of the subtleties of the muscles of your body. Cool. Cool. And then, in terms of some exercises that you would recommend for women who have pelvic pain, if they needed to relax release, their muscles, yeah, yeah and, and this
1: is also for it's also for my mamas. Like it's for especially when you're moving into thirty-six weeks, mm-hmm. and you're you're working more on on releasing rather than engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in in our classes, we do. I think because so many of us do over-engage, mm-hmm. especially in the yoga community, because we're told to pull up on the mula right. Um, We're not necessarily taught how to, to release
0: it, right. too, you know? And so that's why I honestly always have sometimes this kind of, like, subconscious fear, because I know that yoga is helpful for the pelvic floor, mm. but then sometimes I'm I get, like, worried that maybe I'm going to be, like, tensing up too much in that class if it's like not the right class or maybe like not the right teacher or whatever it is not the right poses and it will kind of have like an opposite effect right all right
1: yeah and I think that that is something to be mindful of for sure and it doesn't um it really depends on what kind of pelvic pain that you're dealing Mm -hmm. with I think for you you should be mindful of Mm -hmm. maybe I don't engage that as much maybe I don't also, maybe I don't care if I can jump through completely because I'm. I don't want to cinch up that that high, right. and I don't want that much of the buoyancy that mm-hmm. would be required there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so. But for re- for releasing, I also in a puppy's pose or in a child's pose, mm-hmm. squats are really good for that as well. Anything that opens up the pelvic floor opens up the hips. So even um straddle, jet. Ju- What we want to do is, on the inhale, we want to uh, breathe deeply, fill up the belly, deep diaphragmatic breath, and then on the exhale, imagine, and this is another one of like, it takes your mind to sort of say that this is happening, Mm -hmm. but imagine that you're actually exhaling out of your pelvic floor, that you're releasing there, Mm -hmm. and on each inhale, filling up again, on each exhale, really softening, and releasing and exhaling out of the, the pelvic floor. Um, and you can even give yourself mantras work really well. So on the inhale, think let. On the exhale, think go. Mm-hmm. Just sort of dropping down. Sound is really helpful. I use that a lot in, in prenatal classes because sound creates... Reverberation in the body so it's sort of like giving yourself a little internal massage and that helps to release the muscles as well especially really low sounds mm-hmm. um, can start to drop into that and we're also we're a dome structure so we have from the soles of our feet from those arches in the soles of our feet all the way to the top of our head we're made up of several domes and one of those domes is the soft palate so the roof of our mouth when we relax our jaw we actually relax the pelvic floor. So Mm -hmm. if nothing else, just concentrate on relaxing your jaw.
0: Right.
1: I remember one woman. um, That's so interesting. Yeah. And it's also like when we relax our breath, too, our diaphragm is another one of those domes. We relax our breath and we're not so tight right there in the solar plexus. That also softens the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, The one woman that was a student of mine, she wasn't one of my my doula I'm gonna be walking around thinking about relaxing my jaw (laughs) I know. But that's also if we think about being New Yorkers like easier than your pelvic floor. Exactly. Yeah. It's so much easier to tap into that. But also if you think about like walking around the cities, how we are constantly like gritting our teeth and uh, engaging our jaw and all of that is being engaged at the same time. Um and our breath gets shorter and we start to breathe up rather than dropping down.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um but she told me that She, during her birth, um, she was a post needle student. And during her birth, she was like, I don't like to tell moms this because I get really dirty looks. She's like, I pushed twice Mm -hmm. and I had a really short uh, delivery time in general. But what she did was concentrate the entire time on keeping her mouth really soft Mm -hmm. and her lips soft, and her jaw dropped. Like she just tried to keep dropping her jaw. And I really think that. That was so much of what the work was. And so was. she only
0: pushed twice. She
1: only pushed twice and then she had her baby. Wow. <laughs> she just like opened up that pelvic floor kept her... Like in, in those moments of... Especially when we're in like intense sensation, we grit even more. Mm-hmm. And we want to um, tense the jaw and the sound goes up and everything tightens and our throat gets really, really um, tight. Mm-hmm. And our sounds become higher and higher pitched all of that actually counteracts what we want to do which is drop down and to open up. So lower sounds, like I, you know, in my classes, it's weird if you walk by because you might hear mooing going on like we drop down into, you right. know, lower vowels, lo- lower sounds, really about the dropping down and opening up rather than that natural tendency to like hold everything and hold your breath, hold it all when we're experiencing something, you mm-hmm.
0: know. So if someone like me is doing yoga, taking a yoga class. Mm-hmm. Who has kind of like tight spastic pelvic floor muscles, mm-hmm. and the the teacher, which most most teachers do, are you know constantly telling you to kind of like hold in your core. Mm-hmm. Is it good to hold in your core, or should sometimes you maybe more focus on relaxing it? Well,
1: or th- does it depend on the pose? I think it depends on the the person really. Uh-huh. And I and once again, like why like what is what is the pelvic pain stemming from? Mm-hmm. But also core can be different than our pelvic floor. Yeah. So our another lock in yoga is our Ulianda Bunda lock and that's when we draw our navel back towards our spine. That's the engagement of the transverse abs wrapping everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can engage that without engaging your Mula banda, So you can still wrap in with with that lock. You can still engage those core muscles without ever engaging your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Normally what we do is we pull up on the pelvic floor first, then we engage the oleanda bunda, so it all becomes like one one entity yeah. that's all like held in, but you don't necessarily need to to do that. You don't necessarily you can engage your core and not engage your pelvic floor. That's hard to do, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's very, But it's the same way as, like, it's really hard just to, like, use your urethra st- sphincter. Like, it's all yeah. about that, the awareness that we can... Yeah. And it's, in a way, it's, it, it's kind of an amazing challenge to become mm-hmm. more and more attuned and also, like, acutely aware of what's going on in the body, yeah. you know? Yeah.
0: And then... Just to circle back to pre and postnatal yeah. yoga for a quick second, um, when is it appropriate to start postpartum yoga?
1: Postpartum yoga, it's really when you get the o- a okay from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Normally around six weeks or so, I start to see moms again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all about when when the doctor says now you can do now you can do exercise again now you can move your body
0: right and then also i wanted to ask you what are some precautions for pre and postnatal women that they should be mindful of while doing yoga
1: just in general yeah um no so the sort of key poses that we say don't do Mm -hmm. um no prone poses so you don't want to be on your belly which Mm -hmm. is like you just don't crush your baby you know um
0: so like no upward dog
1: no like actually but prone as in no cobra like no No actually like on yeah yeah, yeah. on your belly yeah um which in the beginning you might it might not be a problem you sort of know when it is because it really feels not okay um and that's sort of i think that in general the body is so intelligent i think that women's bodies are Mm -hmm. so intelligent um the like maternal intuition Kicks in, I think, when you are pregnant with your baby and you sort of know this is okay for me to do, this is not okay for me yeah. to do. But some of the other things that we just say, like, don't do this, even mm-hmm. if it feels okay. Um, really intense on the other side of being prone, really intense back bends are usually not suggested because you're already, your abdominal walls are already stretching out. Um, we have that, we have the uh, issue of diastasis recti and the actual splitting of the abdominal wall. Mm-hmm. So, why, if that's the case, would you want to come into a wheel? Like, right. that's only going to make that worse, you right. know? Um, or in, endanger that sort of abdominal separation more. Um, twists that are closed twists are not great. So, For example, if we're in an ukatasana chair pose and normally we draw a prayer to our heart, we twist towards the right and we hook that left elbow outside the right knee, that's a closed twist. Mm -hmm. Instead, sort of the area that is still okay to twist or to open up is um, from like solar plexus up. We wanna open up the chest. Mm -hmm. So instead of twisting and closing it off, um, what someone who is pregnant can do is you can twist in the same direction but instead of hooking that elbow on the outside of your knee, you would just take your hand on that same leg and then just twist your heart open. Right. So just from the from like the sternum up, twisting open. Um, I'm doing all of these exercises here and no one can see them, but <laughs> but hopefully hopefully the cueing will understand what I mean. Um, but. We can do like a part two video. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, those are like the biggies that we say just, mm-hmm. you know. There's there's controversy about uh, inversions. I would say never do them in the middle of the room just because why? Like right. why put yourself in that risk and that danger of falling out of it? Um, but especially if the baby is breech, it can actually be really great to be in an inversion like a headstand or something really grounded against a wall if that's already in your practice like if your first time to yoga is a prenatal class like please do not go upside down <laughs> please do not go into like a headstand you know yeah. but if you've had a consistent practice and and you feel comfortable in your body it helps facilitate babies head down and looking at you mm-hmm. and that's the optimal birthing position mm-hmm. so
0: inversions can be good because of that cool and then again to go back to people who have pelvic pain and specific, a tight, stressed pelvic floor, Yeah. are there any specific poses kind of off the top of your head that you think would be best to avoid? Mm-hmm. Like that could kind of tighten the pelvic floor more or put it into more of a spasm.
1: That's interesting. <laughs> I think that anything that opens your hips can be really good for you. Hmm. Um, and anything that takes weight off the pelvic floor, so puppy's pose is good, child's pose is good, uh, things that might be engaging, I, rather than the pose itself, mm-hmm. I think it's the way that we come to the pose, Yeah, and it is more of that, are you are you engaging your pelvic floor when you're in this? Mm-hmm. Like often in forward folds, even if we're in standing forward folds or if we're in like a Paschimottanasana on the floor, um, like straight legs out in front of you, mm-hmm. we're told to engage the pelvic floor so that we can start to hinge from the hips a little bit more mm-hmm. in those moments It's, you know, could you let the pelvic floor spread on the floor rather than pulling up in order to bend Mm -hmm. forward? You know, I think it's more about the mindfulness in your own practice of whether or not you choose to engage
0: in those moments or not, you know. And the adjustments that you can kind of make by yourself through the poses. Yeah, and
1: having your own own knowledge of your body. You know, you're going to be... Often, like our injuries are great, are you know, our greatest teachers and, and, or things that we're dealing with, pain that we're dealing with are, Mm -hmm. and it allows us to really hone in and see what do I need to do? Like, what do I, what do I need to do? Not the person next to me, not what the teacher says, for my body, what is, what is appropriate for me to do, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. And now I really want to talk about the importance of yoga and meditation in general um obviously yoga a, a, a large aspect of yoga is meditation and stress reduction and anxiety reduction and yeah. can really help with depression and chronic pain so what are your thoughts on that yeah so um and i guess how do you like incorporate that into your practice
1: yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I actually came from a yoga therapy background, so, and a lot of that had to deal with um, how do we use yoga to manage anxiety and mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest things that we tapped on earlier uh, is that for the most part, especially for New Yorkers, we're in this constant fight or flight mode. You know, you wake up and as soon as you hit the pavement, whether it's like struggling to get onto the subway, Mm -hmm. just all the people around you, you always have to be aware, you always have to be alert. And so when normally, like when we were cavemen, this would only be enacted when there was like a mountain lion running after us. you know. And Mm -hmm. so we would immediately, all of the adrenaline would course through our bodies, we would take off, it would all go to our extremities, that would be pumping more blood. And then when, as soon as the threat was over, we could release it and we could let it go. And you can still see this in the wild. Gazelles get chased after by cheetahs and immediately once they're out of harm's way, they literally shake off their body. Yeah. They shake all of that off. As humans, we don't do that. Right. And so we just store all of this. We store all of, um, hormonally, we store you know, cortisol, we store higher levels of adrenaline in our system. Mm-hmm. Um, it causes a lot of the health issues that we're seeing now. Um, and what yoga helps us do is it helps to start to deregulate the nervous system. It helps to bring us back into the parasympathetic response, which is our rest and digest mode, which we should be in more than we're in the fight or flight mode. Um, that's where like our, our body is doing the most healing. Mm-hmm. And so I always start my classes with samavritti, which is equal breath. So equal inhales and exhales, and we count them out. Normally we'll start seated together and we'll count them for four In four out and then I usually start with a uh, more restorative pose just at the beginning so that you can find your own count but to actively count it out so if it was too long to do a count of four and then shorten it or vice versa Mm -hmm. Um, but really make sure that they're the same because when we have equal inhales and exhales we just tell the body that we're safe Mm -hmm. that we're okay Mm-hmm. And when the body feels safe and okay, then the mind gets to start to soften. It can start to relax. It can start to let go, let go of the day, let go of getting there. Um, and in that lull of bringing ourselves back down, that's where we start to really we do the healing that the body needs to do. So even if you give it to yourself an hour out of the day, you know, um, it's one hour more that your body and your mind are able to start to repair
0: everything that has been going on right and also I think that those kind of like if you're in chronic pain and you're working on the breath and you're working on stress reduction techniques and specifically doing yoga to help with that it really can help reduce chronic pain and and like that fight-or-flight response that's associated with it oh absolutely
1: yeah and I think that part of that too is um this chronic pain is really interesting. It can be, you know, whether it's injury or whether it's something like pelvic pain, um, where the stem becomes a little bit more uh, like amorphous. We don't really know why this is happening. Um, I, th- when we start to tap into our bodies and really connect back to them, rather than disassociate from them, we start to learn the lessons that our bodies are trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. And I think that also with yoga it helps us to come into this moment rather than a lot, especially with chronic pain, the way that our brain starts to, it becomes frayed, you know, like, like a frayed wire. Mm-hmm. Um, because we stop just experiencing pain as just like, oh, I'm in pain now, that's the end of the story. It starts to become greater, it starts to be like, this is going to be the rest of my life, and that starts to feed into the anxiety whenever we have future thought, we start to get into that anxious mode. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, or it can even be can trigger past thought of like, when like, I used to be okay, like, why am I not okay anymore? And when we get into past thought, then that can lead to our like, depressive parts, Mm -hmm. you know, like the regrets and everything like that. And our mind can start to Mm -hmm. linger there. Or I'll never be okay again, you know. Um, And so what yoga does is it starts to put us in our body right now to let go of like, the future that this is always going to be that way or the past of, like, I wish it was this way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that can help. Just the mindset can start to help with um, with dealing with pain as well. Tremendously.
0: Yeah. And what also is so interesting and important, I find, is that, I mean, before I had any sort of chronic pain, I was never really... I never thought ever about, you know, fight-or-flight or, fight or response or... Right kind of like being in a sympathetic versus parasympathetic state and the way that your nervous system reacts on a day-to-day basis. But now I realize how important it is to focus on this and how this these practices can be so helpful as preventative measures and not just, you know, after you have chronic pain or after you're going through some sort of trauma or you're dealing with depression. If you use these skills and these techniques and you build them earlier on in life you can kind of hopefully avoid avoid like chronic pain or avoid chronic depression and yeah it can really help you to to not let these things affect you as much as they would if you weren't in tune with them before
1: absolutely I will I think that it um yeah it's sort of it's like taking your vitamins every day so that you don't get sick rather right. than like, oh God, now I need to like get my kidney removed. You know, like yeah. there's like, then it is the preventative measures. And mm-hmm. if we can start, if we use our, and med- meditation is is like working out your mind. You know, if like, if we can start to really get a hold of that in our mindset, um, it starts to trickle into everything else so that hopefully, these stories that come up in the body won't come up as loudly, you right, know. Right. Or if they do, then you have a different perspective of how to to handle them and how to be with them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like w- with a vipassana meditation, often it's done in a ten day retreat for the first time at least, mm-hmm. and you don't speak, and you can't write, you can't. You know, listen to music. You don't do anything except you wake up at four thirty, you go and you sit and you meditate, and then there's a few breaks throughout the day. But essentially, you're meditating for like twelve hours a day, um, and really, part of it is to force you into those uncomfortable places, even physically, mm-hmm. um, because our bodies store the stories that have happened to us, mm-hmm. even if they're minor traumas. Um, when we have a sensation for instance when you touch something hot your body has already transmitted and known to uh, and knew to actually release the hand off of that hot object before your mind even said oh that's hot you know like milliseconds before but in that in that time space somatically your body has already taken in what that story was and Mm -hmm. then the mind comes in and says this is hot, this is pain, then we create that construct around what that experience was with the mind, mm-hmm. but the body already took in what that was. And that's mm-hmm. when we say in yoga, like your body holds these stories. And if we wanna talk about, um, you know, with, uh, with the chakra system, which is our energetic body and our energetic stories, each one of the chakras has a different um, quality to it or what it, what it represents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so especially when we're talking about pelvic floor pain, we're talking about the first and second chakra. And Mm -hmm. if we look at what that means, the first chakra is our stability. It's literally like our feet on the ground, feeling safe, feeling secure. Um, It's sort of the base. It is the base chakra, Um, but it's you know, whether that's financial stability, whether or not that's feeling safe in your own, own home, your own body, um, really feeling grounded and rooted and secure. So when that doesn't, when you don't feel those things, then your, your first chakra is feeling that, you know, and that Mm -hmm. like, that could be something associated with the pelvic floor pain. Then we move up to the second one. And the second chakra is, is all of our reproductive organs. And it's, you know, below our navel to pubic bone, our hips. And um, one, it has to do with our creativity. So if we feel stunted in on a creative level, sort of on that emotional level or that metaphoric level or creativity, because literally this is where our womb is as women, this is where we birth babies, you know. Um, So in our second chakra, it also, because it is the reproductive organs and and that connection with, with another person, I had a yoga teacher tell me that all of our past relationships are stored in our hips, mm-hmm. which means that it's a great place to release from, especially if we want to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard too, because that's often, I think especially as women, and we can definitely see this now in the climate that we're in, we've all, or many of us, have in- endured trauma from some level or another that has to do with our reproductive health. Mm-hmm. And so all of that can can start to plague us in different ways, um, whether that means like strange menstruation or pelvic floor pain or um, you know yeast infections, anything mm-hmm. that that it really our our bodies can start to tell us that story often.
0: Right, you know? I agree, and I mean we were both briefly talking about this before, but how when your body's like rejecting a human. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I, so, symptoms kind of come up yeah, within yeah. the reproductive area. So absolutely. your body really does tell you what it wants and what it doesn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was telling the story of um, my, I had a boyfriend of seven years and in the last year of our relationship, I really knew that I needed to end it, I mean we were very young when we started dating and um, and it was just, it was time, it was time that it was not moving forward, it was for a period of my life and, and I knew that it was over but because it had been so long, it was really really hard to, when I was 24, it was really mm-hmm. hard to um, let go at that point in time and and so instead, because I mentally and emotionally couldn't really do it for a year, even though I needed to, my body just gave me chronic yeast infection. So mm-hmm. it was just like, we're done. You yeah. can't connect to this person anymore. You are not going to be able to have sex. You're not going to be able to physically like connect to them. And this is the way that you can like start to distance yourself. Right. And I really think that it was my body saying, like, we we got you boo, even though it was annoying, and I hated him because I didn't want to have chronic yeast infections. Yeah. It was a it was a way, and it was it was honestly, if I had, and I started to listen, and I realized what it was. But um, it was telling me everything that I needed to know. And to this day, when I'm having issues with my relationships, or as you know, I've gone through other relationships since. Whenever there's sort of like something brewing there. Immediately, either I'll get a yeast infection or, um, or my period will just be delayed or I'll skip a month. It's like it's, it just goes down it into like you. shutdown mode. Yeah, and I think that that's, it's really important. As much as we hate and we try to run away from discomfort and being in pain, um, it's really important to start to look at it rather than like. And it is, I'm not denying that it's not awful to be in pain, but that maybe there's something greater that we can actually garner from what that is. Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening in this part of my body? You know, it could be my shoulder, but it's here. But it's in, you know, like, it's at my root. It is my pelvic floor. You know, like, just looking at, at where, where that's stemming from as well, you know? Um, and the chakra system actually gives us a really nice map of sort of like looking and peering into what that might be. But just sitting in meditation um, really helps us with this as well because we can start to – My I have a, a mentor who had chronic neck pain after a really bad injury. And um, she was in an accident. And she – for years, year decades actually she suffered from this and she would always she would try to fix it with this or with that or this remedy or seeing that doctor and, and finally instead of continuously trying to fix it and heal it or just fix it I think that we're in especially in America we're all about the self-improvement we're all about the fixing um, rather than doing that she just sat with it. And she would sit in meditation, and she would sit in this pain, and, and it sounds like, oh, are you just like a masochist? But no, she was actually trying to, to dive in and understand what was going on there. And the more that she just sat with it, and she breathed with what it was, and she was there for herself, and what that suffering was, and what that feeling was, one morning she just, and this was like a few years ago after suffering from this for decades... She woke up and the pain was gone. And she and after like, you know, sitting in, in this sort of meditation of just being with it, you know, probably for a year or so, but it was just gone and it hasn't come back since. And I think that that's something to look at as well. Like, how do you sit with the experiences that are going on in your body? And instead of trying to escape them, how how do you garner that compassion for yourself to just be with them? And I mean even the word compassion I, th- I think it gets bastardized a lot in the way that we think about it because we think of being a compassionate person as like the savior like I go in and I like will jump into the trench with you and like pull you out and everything but being compassionate the actual word is compassion which is with suffering so the more that we can sit with ourselves and be within our suffering and know that that's there and it's part of life and not you know try to fix it or put a band-aid on it or run away from it, the more that we can actually sit with it, the more compassionate we become towards ourselves. And not in that we are victims, but we understand our plight. We know that, that this is something that I'm going through. And the more that we actually delve into that and like really go into it, the more we start to recognize and we become just inquisitive about our pain. One, it gives us a little distance away from it, a little bit of perspective away from that so that we can point to it and name it and be like, oh, this is my pain over here. It's not who I am. It's just part of what's going on inside of me. And we start to, to really want to know what that pain is and do a little self-discovery of, of what, what is actually going on there. And the more that we ask that question, and we can be with ourselves and compassionate with ourselves the beautiful byproduct is we become way more compassionate towards other people yeah even though we like my pain might be different than yours Mm -hmm. we can recognize that like oh if you're a human you're probably suffering in some way which is probably the reason why you're acting like this or why this is happening like this or even though my vantage point is different than yours I can understand that like you're here too on this world, so therefore, like we're in this experience together, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, from there, from garnering that kind of compassion, we realize that really we all just want the same thing: we want to be happy, we want to be free, we want to be loved, mm-hmm. and that's just like baseline humanity of what of what our general needs are. Um, so our pain in that way, like if we did not have that suffering, if we did not have that that uh. Um, we wouldn't have that tool. We wouldn't. We wouldn't need. The, we wouldn't have the need to actually delve in and and see what's going on, and then be able to bring that to someone else, and be able to sit with them and what they're going through as well, because we don't know how to do that with
0: ourselves.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and that's the hardest thing to do is to be able to like acknowledge your pain. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of be okay with it for the time being. Yeah, but it's important. Yeah, and even I tell myself when you know, there's days where I really, really don't feel well. And it's not that like you should, as you said, it's not, you wouldn't wish pain upon anyone and no one should be in pain. But sometimes I'll tell myself, this is going to go away. This is making me stronger. This is making me smarter. This is making me a better person. I'm learning from this. I'm growing from this. And one day this pain won't be here and I'm going to come out of it. A way more capable human and I think that if you can tell yourself that and you can kind of give yourself some sort of mantra that like you're not going to be crippled with pain forever and that it is going to make you stronger and you are going to learn from it you'll be able to escape it
1: right but even if you like even the um absolutely but even if you look at like what what this has done for mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. right now like us mm-hmm. sitting here and talking about this all of that comes from being able like you sat mm-hmm. with your with your shit with your with your suffering with your pain mm-hmm. and then got to a place of being like well, other people must be going through this. No mm-hmm. one seems to have an answer. I need to start to reach out and, and bring other people into this dialogue, put it out there for other people. Mm-hmm. And that is a compassionate response to do for others as well, mm-hmm. you know? And really it's coming down to it, you're seeking out that connection. It builds yeah. it by sitting with yourself and what you're going through, it actually starts to foster connection and community that's beyond you, that's greater than than right. your experience,
0: you know? Completely.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, like, that's all that is, being able to sit with this and being able to be compassionate with yourself through your suffering. Mm-hmm. Then you start to bring other people in. It's like, I will sit with yours, you will sit with mine, mm-hmm. we will be stronger because of it, you know?
0: And that, you know, knowing that everyone is going through something yeah and everyone has pain so it's just really like kind of focusing on on yourself and how you can kind of rise above it and and, and just be with it and be with it yeah and, yeah and so before we finish there's one thing i want you to do i want you to kind of like walk us through a breathing the breathing exercise that you do in the beginning and sure. i think the end of, of your yeah. yoga classes and. yeah You know, A lot of people who have chronic pain, I'm sure can relate to this, can relate to being told that the pain is in their head. Mm -hmm. And while we all know that's not true, like the pain is real and the pain is there and anyone who has pain is feeling that pain. No one's making it up. But at the same time, a lot of pain is generated in the brain. Mm. So those breathing exercises can really help kind of turn those pain signals off in the brain right which in turn can help reduce levels of pain absolutely yeah so these breathing exercises are so helpful and so important for anyone to kind of be able to do and to like adopt this practice you know when you're on the subway when you're walking to work when you're stressed out before you're going to sleep at night when you wake up in the morning whatever it is, to kind of do this breathing exercise to calm the brain down. Right, yeah,
1: absolutely, especially on the subway, especially if you're in New York. In the summer. (laughs) In
0: the summer. It's
1: 98 degrees and you want to kill someone. Yeah. (laughs) So this is is when you do it. It's really bad.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's do it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So normally when, but you can do this anywhere, like we just said, you know, when you're walking, when you're on the subway. We're in the yoga class, normally we'll sit up on something so that we just have a little elevated seat to mm-hmm. release the hips down. Um, and Isn't then, that good for your pelvic floor too, to yes, be elevated? absolutely. Well, it releases the, the hip flexors, so that starts to help mm-hmm. release the pelvic floor as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a little elevation to the seat is always good so that knees can drop below the hips. Um, so just sitting up tall or like literally you can take this with you wherever you want to go. But if we want to do it right now, close your eyes. And just begin to notice your breath, noticing your inhales and your exhales, and try sealing your lips to begin just breathing in and out of your nose, and then see where that breath is living in your body, so are you breathing into your chest or your belly, and nothing is right or wrong, just notice. draw your navel back toward your spine, just to root your seat down a little bit more. And then imagine that you can stack vertebra on top of vertebra, growing taller here, all the way to the crown of your head. I feel like a string is pulling that up. Suspended. Now breathe into that space. Bring one hand to your heart. Bring the other to your belly, and just notice those connections. And we'll take three breaths to start. So exhale out all of your stale air. Let it go. Breathe in. Two, three, four. Exhale two, three, four. Inhale two, three four. Exhale, two, three, four. Breathe in. And out. And when you're ready, you can flutter your eyes open, release your hands down. So you can use this as a meditation in general. As where, you know, before you go to bed at night when you wake up in the morning, just as a quick like, let me come back to myself and my breath. You don't need to if we're on the subway or if we're walking around, we don't have to do all of the lengthening the spine or drawing navel back or hands on chest and belly. That's sort of just, you know, for yourself. Um, but just that breath, that even inhale and exhale, that's the sum of riti. That's what's going to lull us into that rest and
0: digest mode. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you think is important to share before we end? No, I think I think we did good. I think so too. <laughs> oh, and if anyone wants to get in contact with you, yeah, how do they do that?
1: Um, they can. You can email me. Um, my email is Morgan Lynch. M O R G A N L Y N C H. Web. W E B. At gmail.com, not to be confused because my name is both Megan Lynch and Morgan Lynch. Um, but Morgan Lynch Web at gmail.com. And if you want to come to a class, I teach at Yoga Vita. So I teach now. I cut my schedule back because I'm in grad school right now, but I teach Thursdays, Fridays, and uh, Mondays. And I'm on the schedule if you just look for Megan Lynch. Cool. Yeah.
0: So. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This was amazing. And don't forget to leave a comment on this episode. Leave your feedback. Give it five stars. <laughs> that way more people will listen to it. And stay tuned for the next episode.